Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Uh, last week I talked about avoiding that place that so many of us come to in our lives in which, which we find ourselves saying, where are you Christmas? You know, distractions I talked about last week, and especially family distractions, uh, and, and, and how we can actually miss the love, joy, peace, and hope of Christmas when we let things like political rhetoric, gossip, constant comparisons with family members, when we let those things rule our get-togethers instead of uh, purposing it in our hearts to make Jesus the center of our gatherings at this time of year. And I, I hope you got a chance to listen to that if you weren't here last week. Um, but uh, we, we kind of connected that to, um, in reading the scriptural account of the birth of Jesus, we saw this distracted innkeeper, right? Which really is never mentioned in the Bible. So he was less of a distracted innkeeper who was a hotel manager and more of a distracted family member of Joseph is what we saw. So it's not as if these things can bring us, that, that bring us to a point where we ask, where are you Christmas or anything new? The, these are things that they've been experiencing for thousands of years, really. I mean, that, that God's people have. And and missing Jesus happened back then just as it happens today. People were distracted by that back then, and they're distracted today, aren't they? And so uh, uh, I want to get back into the scripture and see who else uh, missed the wonder and glory of that first Christmas and maybe found themselves asking, where are you, Christmas? So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, and that's Herod the Great, there's a few different Herods in the Bible. There's a lot of Herods in the, in the history books. But this is Herod the Great. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. So these wise men that came to King Herod and said, You know, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We, we want to... We saw a star, we want to worship him. Uh, They were probably from an educated religious class of men from modern-day Iran. That's probably where they came from. And they specialized in astrology, medicine, and natural sciences. And and more than likely, they saw this star and were compelled to follow it. I think it's worth noting that it never says there were only three wise men. That's another thing we kind of make up because our nativity sets can't hold anymore, I think, or some reason why. Uh, there could have been three times as many. We, it really never says. We don't know. We often obviously just assume three because there was only three gifts mentioned later in this chapter. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh, right? So it, it's worth also noting that these men were not part of God's chosen people. They were not Jewish. Yet they recognized the importance of this star and attributed it to the birth of a king. A king that was worth their worship worth their valuable gifts, and worth a long journey. And the Jewish religious leaders and and most of the Jews in Jerusalem at the time, all of which knew the prophecies and were waiting for their Savior, they either weren't looking for him and didn't recognize the signs, or they just didn't think he was worth the effort to go and worship him or bring him gifts. I I just think that's worth noting. It's amazing to me that God's people... We're, we're right there. And they knew the truth of what was going to happen. They missed it. And then you got these other guys who aren't even in the, 
the, the, the fold, if you would, of God's chosen people, and they get it. And I think that happens today sometimes too, doesn't it? People outside the church sometimes get it more than we do. Really? Yeah. Because their hearts are ready to receive some. And sometimes we miss it. Anyway, moving on. Then, then it says that upon hearing from these wise men, King, it says that King Herod was troubled. And, and this is the part that jumped off the page at me. And all of Jerusalem with him. Why? Well, let's start by looking at the word troubled. It's the Greek word uh, terasso. Terasso. Can you say that? You guys are really awake today. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. Wake up. <laughs> say terasso. There you go. That is the word troubled. That's what was translated to the word troubled. And again, it, it, it's mind-blowing for me to see that, first of all, King Herod was troubled at hearing this news from the wise men that there had been a king born. But it says that all of Jerusalem, that's Jews living in Jerusalem, uh, all of Jerusalem was troubled as well. They were troubled that their Savior finally came. That doesn't even make sense. Tarasso, the word troubled, means to agitate, to cause one inward commotion, to take away calmness of mind, to disturb one's equanimity, to, di to disquiet or make restless, to stir up, to strike one's spirit with fear and dread, to render an individual anxious or distressed, to perplex the mind of someone by introducing scruples or doubts. Troubled. And that's right out of the Strong's Greek concordance, Hebrew Greek concordance, that definition. So if King Herod and all of Jerusalem, which consisted of predominantly Jews at the time, by the way, although it was under Roman control, it consisted of Jews, if they were all troubled, if they were agitated, if they were disturbed, if they were anxious and perplexed after hearing that this baby had been born, this king, we got to ask why. Why did it trouble them? Why did it strike their spirits with fear and dread and leave them distressed to find out that a baby had been born? And remember, King Herod, was he was a powerful, ruthless leader. Why would he have a care in the world over an infant child? And the Jews living in Jerusalem at the time, they had been, again, waiting for the advent, the arrival or coming of Christ. Uh, they'd been waiting for generations. Why were they troubled over the news that he had finally been born? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you use that, that, that word, troubled, again, agitated, the Jews were agitated that their Savior, their savior finally came. Are, are you, are, have you ever seen that before, that they were troubled? It just jumped off the page at me, and I don't think I'd ever seen that before. I knew Caden Caird was troubled, but it, it, it perplexed me a little bit that, that the Jews were troubled. Let's read on, Matthew 2, 4 through 6. And when... He had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Talking about Herod, he gathered the chief priests and uh, he inquired where the, where the Christ was to be born. And verse 5 says, So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We, we read that verse last week. It, it's the prophet Micah, and he was prophesying where Jesus would be born, and 
these chief priests and scribes of the people, they knew, they knew these prophecies, and so they told King Herod, this is where he'll be born. And King Herod obviously knew who to talk to. He called the religious leaders in to find out where Jesus was to be born. He probably knew of their prophecies at least somewhat, and that they would have knowledge of all this. And then in verse 7, let's pick it up there, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So Herod's doing some math in his head, and he's trying to figure this out. Understand, the wise men didn't get to uh, the, uh, the, the manger or the stable or, or, or downstairs of the, fam- in the, of the family room. He didn't, they didn't get there that night Jesus was born. And, and just, just to give you a timeline, theologians go back and forth about this, but they think anywhere from 40, 40 days after Jesus was born to up to two years after Jesus was born when the wise men finally got there. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, well, okay, let me start over. Then, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what, when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you, found, when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Yeah, right. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. How come nobody else saw the star? Again, I, it just blows my mind. This, this is such an amazing story. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So let's step back from this and, and, and really look at the story. We see that King Herod missed it, right? He missed it. So did most of the Jews in Jerusalem at the time. And it's easy to see that the religious leaders of the day definitely missed it. They all missed Christmas. And it was right there by them. It was so close to them. But what did they all have in common that caused them to miss it? And I thought about this, and I prayed over this scripture, and I meditated on it, and I thought, what is the connection here, Lord? And at first I thought, maybe it's unbelief. Maybe this is where none of them really believed. But as I continued to think about it, Herod's whole reason for trying to trick the magi, the wise men, was because he did believe. He was worried about this king of the Jews being born and growing up and actually becoming the savior to the people that he was supposed to rule, that Herod was supposed to rule. And the religious leaders and the Jewish people, they believed too. I mean, the idea of a savior, a Messiah being born was built right into their very culture. Everything was about the promise of God for this deliverer. That through him, he would, he would establish a kingdom that would, that would have no end. And I, I, I don't think they missed it because of their lack of belief. So what was it? What was it that caused all of them to miss it? And I think the term that really nails it, that really just hits it right on the head, is stiff-necked. Okay, turn your head to prove that you're not, and tell your neighbor, just say, I hope you're not stiff-necked. See, the Lord used this term. He referred to his chosen people as stiff-necked more than once in the Old Testament. And originally, the term was used to describe an ox that refused to be directed or led by its, own, its owner's goad. You know, they had this 
pointy stick and they would goad the ox and get them to go where they wanted to go. And sometimes that ox was so stubborn, sometimes that ox was just not going to be led no matter what, that they would call that ox stiff-necked. It's a stiff-necked ox. This is exactly how God described his own people who refused to be led. He said it in Exodus, he called them it. He, He said it in Deuteronomy, he said it in Nehemiah. And Stephen used the term before he was martyred for his faith, the first martyr. He called the religious leaders stiff-necked. So it's not a phrase that's, that's unused in the, in the Bible, a term, but, but it's not really used in reference to the Christmas story. But when you start connecting the dots a little bit and you start looking at these groups of people that missed it, you think, man, they were stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. Calling people stiff-necked was to say they were rebellious, Stubborn, unwilling to be led. And here's the deal. You can put this down. Number one, Herod was stiff-necked. Herod was stiff-necked. Although he was not a Jew, he was stiff-necked for sure. He wasn't about to be led. Instead of giving honor to this young child who was prophesied to be king of kings, we find out in verses 13 through 18 of Matthew 2 that Herod did just the opposite. He failed in trying to manipulate the wise men, so he ordered all boys to and under to be killed in an effort to get rid of Jesus. This is a mass murderer. Herod wasn't about to be led. He wasn't about to bow down to this infant king. And I don't think there's anyone in here this morning that is as ruthless as King Herod. I'm sure no one listening to me today would ever order a mass murder like that, but but I do believe that there are those who are stiff-necked in the way that King Herod was. Herod didn't want to change. He wanted the status quo. He liked his power, his authority, the comfortability of, of his cushy, sinful life. And encountering Jesus, here's, here, here's, the, here's the point, encountering Jesus will always result in change. It always does. You choose what kind of change, change for the better or change for the worse. You either reject him or accept him. There's really no in-between. And people still miss Christmas today. They miss the love, the joy, the peace, and the hope that it offers. And end up asking, where are you Christmas? And, And here's the truth. You will never find it if you hold so firmly to the status quo of your life that you basically reject the change he wants to lead you into. It's like some people try to have Christmas without Christ. And maybe the reason is that Christ always invokes change. You know, I don't know how many times in, in the last couple decades, Pastor Jared, Pastor Donnie could, could attest to this as well. Anybody that's been in ministry of, of any kind could attest to this. But you meet people that come quickly to the Lord and they lay it all down at an altar and they, they accept Jesus Christ as their, their Lord and Savior sometimes. And sometimes they just don't. Sometimes, sometimes you, they hear the message of the gospel and they just don't want to move, right? They just won't move. And no matter how much they see or how much you share or how much you, you uh, pray for them, they just don't budge. You all have experienced people like that, right? They just won't accept the Lord. And you know what happens when they reject? Because to not accept is to reject. 
What happens when they reject is there's change in their life, but it's for the worse. You see, I think there's moments in time when people have opportunities to, to come to Christ in a magnificent way. And he loves us so much that he offers those opportunities all the time. And when people say, nope, not going there. Nope, not doing it. Nope, not going to give my heart to him. I'm not going not to bow down. It's a little like Herod. Herod was a brutal king, no doubt. But he got worse after this, these incidents, after Jesus was born, and he rejected him. I think people go down roads sometimes that are so horrific when they reject Jesus. It's like, reject, and then, ooh, I'm going to take, you've heard the phrase, uh, three steps forward, two steps back. Well, that's no steps forward, ten steps back. And it happens sometimes. People just slip further into their state of being lost when they reject. And it's not that God is punishing them. It's not that he's not still there offering, him, offering them his love. It's just when there's a rejection, there's also a change the other way. When you encounter Jesus, change is going to happen. You can choose which way that change is going to go. If it's going to change for good, change more into the image of Jesus, or it can change the other way. And you can go backwards. That, that, that's that stiff-neckedness in Herod. He just wasn't going to budge. People are sometimes fine, too, with, with Jesus as a baby. You know, I, I'm fine with Jesus in, laying in a manger. I mean, how can we not feel those warm fuzzies of that little nativity scene, right? But don't let Jesus get out of that manger. Don't allow him to grow up and be able to speak into my life about what needs to change. I like my life the way it is. I don't need him messing with it. I've worked very hard to become this miserable. <laughs> Stiff-necked, disobedient, unwilling, people, unwilling to change people. People uh, that resist anything that will change or conform them into the image of Christ. Herod, stick-necked as he was, stiff-necked, resisted changing for the good. He rejected the newly born Messiah, and so his life and rule left a pretty sad legacy. He changed for the worse. And I, I, I studied some of King Herod the Great's life after all of this. In addition to, to killing a bunch of toddler and infant boys, he killed three of his sons because he believed they were trying to undermine him. And according to documentation from that time, writings, and not, not in the Bible, but writings, uh, historical documents, he, it's, it's, it's known that he ended up dying from chronic kidney disease complicated by a very uncomfortable case of, and I apologize for this, maggot-infested gangrene of the genitals. Never thought you'd hear that in church, did you? His life didn't go so good for him. If we are stiff-necked, if we resist changing and conforming into the image of Christ, we will change for the worst. But the posture of worship, the admission that we need a Savior, and the laying down of our own pride and letting him have his way with us will change us for the better. We see it all the time. Obedience to Christ results in blessing. Disobedience results in destruction. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Herod was stiff-necked. But so were the Jews that were in Jerusalem. They were troubled. Remember? 
along with Herod. They were troubled. All of Jerusalem was troubled. So number two, the Israelites were stiff-necked. There are those who reject Christ because we don't want the status quo of our lives to change. Like Herod, we aren't going to give in to him, to Jesus. And that's exactly the same reason many of us refuse Christ. But the Israelites were God's chosen people. They knew his goodness. They knew the prophecies regarding the Messiah. Their whole culture engulfed them in his word. They knew this stuff. Jesus was born a stone's throw from them, and seemingly they were obtuse about it. Again, maybe they didn't realize it, but, but maybe that's even worse. I mean, after all, we see that Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist... She knew before Jesus was even born that Mary was carrying Jesus. Her baby leaped within her as her cousin Mary came to see him or see her while they were both pregnant. And Anna and Simeon, they knew. They were in the temple when Mary and Joseph brought him in and presented him to the Lord. They knew right away who this was. They were looking. They were watching and waiting for the advent of this deliverer. So why did so many others miss it? Again, the words, all of Jerusalem with him was troubled. Kind of jump off the page. Why on earth were the Jews living with, within Jerusalem troubled? This was the greatest event that, of all of human history. And they missed it. They wanted their Messiah the way they wanted him. I think that's why. They, they were not open to being led by this poor baby born in a manger. They probably even doubted that it could be him because they had this image in their minds of a conquering king, a king who would rise up and deliver them from the oppression they lived under, the oppression of the Roman Empire. They knew God, but the savior they was what they, the savior they wanted wasn't the savior they got. Is this thing causing troubles again? Okay, but here's the hard truth. Even after we know Christ, we can still be stiff-necked. We can still resist change with every step in our journey with Jesus. Sure, we made him Savior, and we received his gift at, uh, on the cross as payment for our sin by becoming born again, but a relationship with Christ has got to be more than fire insurance. It's total submission to God, that is, uh, to a God that is so patient with us that he gives us a lifetime to figure it out. And, and, and like those Jews, we often want the savior we want. Sure, we're not like Herod in the sense that we reject Christ altogether. We've accepted him, we, we know him, but then when he speaks into our life and wants us to change, when he starts rubbing off those rough, rough edges, when he starts molding us and shaping us, I mean, think about what Jeremiah said, oh, oh, what he prophesied, and it was like the Lord speaking to all of us, if I, could just, if I could just be like a lump of clay in the potter's hand, if you would just be like a lump of clay in the potter's hand, that I could mold you and shape you and change you and, and help you become the person I designed you to be. See, we don't like it when God starts rubbing the rough edges off. One of the first things we do when God starts moving uh, to, to, to chip away at some of that, that, that rough stuff on us, one of the first things we do is we, say, we start pointing the finger at everybody else that's worse than us. We say, I'm pretty good compared to them. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you and who God wants you to be. 
How many have a little bit of rough edge on you? The rest of you are liars. <laughs> we all got a little bit of that. And we're in that process of sanctification where he does bring us to a place of holiness in our life. He does chip away. It's not like I come to Christ and, he, and yes, he, he accepts me and, and I receive him and I come underneath his authority and then we're all good and anything I want to do, I can do. It's not like that. Encountering Christ demands change. And sometimes we resist that. We like where we are. We're comfortable. We want repentance without... Or I'm sorry, we want grace without repentance. He's not the Savior we want, but he's the Savior we need. We want blessing without sacrifice. We desire his presence but refuse to pray the price. We want formulas for how we can manipulate God into giving us what we want and when we want it. But God doesn't operate that way. We want forgiveness and while at the same time we refuse to forgive others. We, we want to feel love just envelop us and, and yet we live selfishly. Don't expect me to submit to a Savior who expects me to change. I mean, that's kind of the attitude. We don't say it, but it's kind of there. Stiff-necked. We're comfortable. We resist change because it always involves loss. And don't forget that. Change always involves loss. To change for a better future always involves having to say goodbye to some of our present. And that keeps people from moving forward in their faith. They just want to hold on to what they have. Again, don't upset the status quo. I will go with Jesus so far, and then that's it. There's no leading me any further. Church, that's the definition of stiff-necked. Unleadable, keep the status quo, disobedient, stubborn. I'm good now, Jesus. No need to dive deeper into any more change. I'm the most religious, holy person in my entire family. I'm good. Doesn't work that way. I, I want to say something really strong, and I don't want to be offensive. My wife just had to swallow quick out of fear. But if you ever come to the place in your Christian walk where you stop changing and conforming into the image of Christ, if you ever come to a place where you're good and you're, you're done changing, you just failed. Because we never get to that place. Until you reach perfection, we ought to be striving for that. Right? And I don't know about you, but I ain't perfect yet. I don't think any of us are. I don't think that day is going to come until he sits on the throne. And we're in his kingdom. Stiff-necked people who refuse to go forward in their faith will go backwards in their faith. Encountering Christ brings change one way or the other. And it's not just initially accepting Jesus into our life. It's accepting the change he leads us into at every point the rest of our days. Nope, I'm done. I got saved. That's all I'm going to do. That's stiff-necked. 
That's what the Israelites were. That's what the Jewish people in Jerusalem were. How else in the world did they get lumped in with Herod? And Herod was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, when they heard about the Savior being born. Number three, the religious leaders were stiff-necked. Save maybe the worst offenders for last. Sure, they, they weren't as brutal as Herod the Great, unless having Jesus murdered by nailing him to a cross counts. But I, I believe that those who teach and those who are in a position of spiritual authority have a greater accountability on them to teach and live out what they say they believe. Scripture backs this up. As most of you know, the Bible says that leaders and teachers within the church will be judged with a higher standard and even judged more harshly. These men, these religious leaders, who Herod gathered to tell him where this baby was being born, these men knew the scriptures. They probably could quote it to you verse by verse if you asked them to. They were elite in their knowledge. But as the people revered them, they grew prideful. As they gained more powerful positions of authority, they lost sight of everything they knew. These were religious politicians, if you will. They were a religious ruling class that loved their authority over the people more than they loved the truth. They couldn't be led. They were almost a mix between the kind of stiff-neckedness that, that King Herod and, and the stiff-neckedness, is that a word, nakedness? <laughs> of the Jews combined. They weren't going to change, and they certainly weren't going to avoid changing their own status quo. These men did not need change. They were already so godly and so holy. They were the holier in thous. They already knew everything there was to know about the Lord. They were experts in all things religious. And they were so religious that they actually missed the opportunity to have a relationship with this newly born king. The one they had been reading about and praying about for generations. There are still those in the church today who have become so elitist in their knowledge and in their own holiness that they are completely out of touch with who Jesus really is. They miss Christmas because they're so busy pointing out how and why everyone else is missing it while holding on to their status quo as the greatest, most spiritual, the most Christ-like, that they, they just miss what Christ was really like. My point is this, stiff-necked people disobedient, change-resistant, stubborn, unwilling-to-be-led people will end up asking, where are you Christmas? Jesus, I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't know where you're at. I, 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 don't, I don't sense you in my life. They'll end up there. Stiff-necked people will become troubled when they hear the truth. Revelation gives them anxiety. To hear tr the true voice of God agitates them to a place of fear and even dread. And don't be the person who, who can't seem to find Christmas this year because of being stiff-necked. Unwilling to let God do in you what he wants to do. I can think of examples of this in my life. Moments where God has told me to do things and, and I just, just wasn't going to go there. Can you relate with that? Times when he said, you need to do this. And 
I ain't doing it. That's stiff-necked. And your growth just instantly comes to a halt when we do that. God's so good, though. When you say, you know what, God, you're right, I needed to do that, and you go back and you get it, you, you, you get it taken care of, all of a sudden all the love and all the grace and all the, all the, all the peace and all of that that comes with, with a relationship with him, it just wraps you up again, and, he, and he, he's right there to help you. So it's not like you miss it, you miss it forever. There's always chances to change, to turn, to, to loosen up that stiff neck. Some of us need the spiritual chiropractor to come on and just pull. Don't you love that feeling when he just jerks it and it just, you're like, did you just snap my neck? And you're like, oh, relief. There are many are in the nativity story Probably more than more that missed it than more that, that didn't miss it. And there were some that missed it because they were distracted, and, and we specifically talked about family distractions. And there were also those that missed it because they were stiff-necked. My prayer is that you would all experience the love, joy, hope, and peace that comes with Christmas season, the Christmas season, and and our celebrations of the birth of Christ. It was the first Advent. His first coming. And, and, and as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I, it was like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me at the same time about his second advent. You know, history has a way of repeating itself. There are going to be those, as we get closer and closer to his second coming, that miss it. They miss the signs. They miss what's going on because they are distracted, even distracted by family. There will also be those that miss it because they are stiff-necked and unwilling to be led by his Holy Spirit, unwilling to change. I'm not the judge and jury on who will make it and who won't. I'm not claiming to be. I'm just saying I don't want to be a guy that God's got to think about. Hmm. I don't want to be the person that's on thin ice because I've been stiff-necked or so distracted. These are the things that kept people from experiencing the first advent. We ought to take note and make sure that it's not the reason that we miss the second advent. Right? Because Jesus is coming again. He ain't coming as a baby this time. He's coming in all of his glory and all of his power. Let's pray. Father, we uh, don't want to miss what you have for us in this Christmas season. We don't want to miss the, the love, the, the joy, the peace, and the hope that can only be found through you. God, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. Your word says that. And Lord, you offer all these wonderful things for us, not just blessings, but just, I guess they're all blessings in a sense, but Lord, the the healing, the deliverance, the, 
the blessings, the provision, the love, joy, peace, and hope that we just talked about. You offer all this to us. And we're reminded at Christmas time, especially, God, that you stepped out of heaven and became one of us. God with us, Emmanuel. And you did that so that you would, you could live a perfect life and die on a cross for our sins and, and open the door for all of us to experience everything you have for us. Lord, we're overwhelmed this morning. And we're reminded about how easy it is to miss it all. I know your word says that the road to destruction is broad and the road to life is narrow and few find it. We want to be part of the few. And God, I know there's nobody as brutal as King Herod in here, but there may be someone who's been stiff-necked enough to reject Christ and never ask him into their hearts. Or I, I think like the Israelites probably were at that time, there's some of us, Jesus, who have resisted change that, that you have been trying to get us to, to walk into, possibly for years, and we keep resisting it. And God, there might be some of us that are so pious in our own minds, so religious and so holy and so elitist that, that, that we miss it because of our own arrogance of what we know. God, we just want to walk in balance as your people. We don't want to be stiff-necked in any of those areas. We want to be free in you, balanced in our life, obedient, ready to change, soft hearts, open ears, the soil of our heart being so rich and perfect for planting. That's what we desire, because we don't want to miss Christmas. We don't want to wonder where it is. We don't want to wonder where Jesus is in our life. We don't want to have those moments where we, 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 we just can't sense you, where we feel you're so far away from us. So today we give you our hearts once again. We give you our lives. We submit to you. We bow down to you and give ourselves to you. Forgive us of our sins. Change us from the inside out. And we offer ourselves to you, God, like that lump of clay in the potter's hand. And we say, do with us what you will. Whatever that thing is, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we treat others, Maybe the way we mope around. Whatever, God, it is that you need to rub off that rough edge. Maybe we're quick to argue. Rub that off, God. We don't want to miss Christmas. And all the love, joy, peace, and hope that comes with it.
I think it's quiet in here for a reason. I think God's speaking to your hearts today. heads bowed and eyes closed just feel like I need to ask this question have you been stiff-necked is there an area of your life you've been a little stiff-necked nobody's looking around just maybe that you just need to admit it to the Lord by raising your hand saying yeah I've been a little stiff-necked I've resisted change I've been rough around the edges and acted like I didn't need any 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 other change in my life because I'm good enough hands up all over. Don't let that stiff-neckedness, neckedness, don't let it mess with your Christmas this year. Praise the Lord. Well, I want you to stand up. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.